Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network where we take an inside look into the training of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta in February. And in this episode, I talked to Carly Gill, who just recently qualified for the Olympic Trials with a huge PR in Berlin where she ran 242. Carly has been knocking on the door of the uh, Olympic Trials qualifier for a little while now. Almost got it last year at the California International Marathon. And her effort to do so is actually chronicled by the Tempo Journal in a really nice article uh, about several women, not just Carly. And it was widely read by a lot of people after that stirring marathon, which saw so many people qualify for the Olympic trials. And Carly rebounded from that race where she ran really well, but didn't quite reach her A goal and found herself really kicking butt this year. And it was this conversation was just a lot of fun, if for no other reason than Carly is just a paragon of energy and enthusiasm. And we just couldn't stop talking. And I just really love this conversation. I've been following her for a while, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. So here is my conversation with Carly Gill. Hello, Carly, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Carly, you just kicked some serious butt at the Berlin Marathon, your second time there, and you just rocked it, the 242. Uh, First of all, how are you feeling? My goodness. (laughs) It doesn't feel real. Even hearing you say that number, I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) It's, it's, it's completely surreal. Um, the whole experience, I think it flew by. I said right after the race, like, can I do it again? Like, <laughs> I just felt like it flew by, even the race. <laughs> right. And it's funny because you you had, you know, some twists and turns over the past year or so as you've had this, this once the this seems like this goal of beginning an OTQ kind of entered your consciousness. And I, I just love, first of all, we'll, we'll get into your running story because it really is an interesting one and unique in a lot of ways. But it seemed like once it entered your consciousness, you've had like these twists and turns. But it seems like one of the, the constant themes, not only in this past, you know, year, year and a half, but you know, hearing you talk about your life um, in in totality is just your general enthusiasm and optimism and willingness to like you know look at life with like the glass half full. So I guess first things first, where where did that come from, and when did you become aware of just the positivity that you that just seems to emanate off of you? Um. Well, I think it comes from a lot of different places, but in this specific scenario where I'm, you know, going for this big goal and, you know, it's, it's a feasible goal. I was within reach, um, you know, for a little while now, but, or it depends what you consider within reach, but I was within five minutes for, for two years. So, um, I think I just had, I wanted to always look back and no matter whether I OTQ'd or not, I wanted to enjoy my time (laughs) that I spent. I mean, you spend so much time marathon training and I think, um, you know, if it becomes a chore, and obviously sometimes it's a chore. Sometimes I roll out of bed and I'm like, oh, I have to run 10 miles easy today. Why? But I think, you know, for the most part, enjoying that, 
process is really important because that's 90% of the time or more than 90. I mean, the race is only like 1% of your whole training cycle. Um, so I just always wanted to do that. Um, I don't know if the positivity just comes from a standpoint. I think it's a lot of different things. I didn't, well, like you said, we'll talk about my running story, but I, I didn't come from, you know, a super competitive high school career. I didn't come from a super competitive college career. So running has always been kind of surprising. These, these achievements that I've achieved thus far have just been surprising (laughs) to me and, and fun. And there was a point maybe in, uh, 2018 where, I let myself and, and overtrained that was prior to having an awesome coach, but I was training myself. Um, and I just thought more and more would be better. And, and maybe that experience kind of taught me to, well, first of all, get a coach and, and someone else looking at my training, <laughs> but, but also just to enjoy it and not get run down by, I ended up getting run down emotionally leading up to the Boston marathon in 2018, which was obviously the monsoon year. I had a great race and I finished so, and I finished pretty well, but that cycle ran me down a lot in that cycle actually injured my tibia. It, there was a lot of things that I learned in that cycle and it was right after I had run at 249. So it was, you know, coming off of a time that was like pretty telling that the OTQ wasn't a crazy goal. It was, you know, something I could work to work towards. Um, and so I, I think that was a time when I was, you know, very gung ho on, on trying to get it as soon as possible. After that, I think I realized, yeah, you know, it should be fun. This is supposed to be fun and, you know, getting a coach would be a good idea, but also just finding the joy, um, along the way and not really getting bogged down on the outcome would make the whole thing more enjoyable and lighter feeling for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that the way you looked at Boston that year, because like you said, you did have a great race, but it seemed like the, the process by which you attained uh, that 255 in Boston in the monsoon, which is just nuts, um, <laughs> that the process, the, the process that led to that was something that physically, mentally and emotionally wore you down. So with that being said, what were some of the things did you feel like you had to change to make sure it didn't happen again? Or was it more of just kind of like reverting back to the way you approached running kind of before that cycle? A little bit of both. I, um, I think it was two weeks after the Boston marathon, I called up Mario and was like, I know you're not taking any athletes, but please <laughs> take me. Um, no, I had a couple coaches in mind that I wanted to talk to and, and Mario was a great fit. And so, um, he, luckily took me on and and that was part of it. Um, you know, I think I trained myself, I had trained with a lot of groups, so I would go to a lot of group workouts, but ultimately I was overseeing my own training. Um, and going into the New York city marathon, for example, 2016, I broke three and I had like a, a rough plan I was following that like a friend had done, and but I was pretty much in charge of myself. But I think at that point, I hadn't, I had run a 321. So I didn't have a lot of pressure on myself. I was just like, oh, this will be fun. Let me try and follow this plan and see if I can run a 310 or a 305 or a sub three. And I ran a sub three, but the, that process was good. But then after that and and going into Berlin where I ran a 249, I, I probably skimmed the surface of overtraining a little bit, but not quite. I was still very much just trying to get better. Um, I wanted to do better than the 259. I didn't want to, I didn't even think about 250. It never crossed my mind to run a 249. I just had a beautiful race. And so that was still pretty good. But then it was like, after that bar was set, like, oh, you've run a 249 and nobody will stop telling you, you can OTQ. It was kind of like, okay, so that has to be my next goal. And I think going into Boston, that was the first time 
I had, I mean, I, I wanted to break three when I wanted to break three, that was definitely a time barrier, but I think going into, into that Boston build, I was kind of obsessed with it. And I, and six fifteen pace just did not come to me. It just wasn't coming to me. And I was running too much for it to come to me. And there was a lot of things and it was too, you know, a lot of stuff that I needed to develop as a runner that I was, wasn't seeing. Cause I was just blinders on, wanted to do it in Boston, didn't care about the course. I, I knew I could run well in New York. So I was like, I can do it, whatever. When the weather came, I think there was this like sense of relief to be honest, where, which sounds crazy in hindsight, but I think I knew I wasn't ready to go for a 245 necessarily. And so having the weather, it was like, cool, I, I'm, you know, I'm gritty. I can race in, in bad weather. And it kind of took that off in hindsight. But um, afterwards it was kind of like, okay, I need a coach. I need to make this fun again. I think I need to chip away. I need to just like, I want to go for it again. And I, I was injured. So I had to take like six weeks off. So Mario started working with me after, after that, it was just like a tibia stress reaction, not just, it was a tibia stress reaction. So it was definitely to be taken seriously. Um, and so we took that time off and then it was like, all right, let's rebuild and like, make this fun. Um, we thought CIM would give us enough time. I think I was eager to run a marathon that year. Um, I don't regret that, but I think maybe I should, you know, it, there could have been consideration to do a half in the fall instead, but I, I really wanted to run a full and that was def, I was definitely gung ho and I wanted to run CIM. So, um, but yeah, I think it was a mix of like finding a coach, taking the pressure off a little bit while still, you know, having the goal, I, I, I never wanted to lose sight of the goal and, and wanting to get better, but just making it a more fun process and having somebody to check me, um, to not overdo it and to be, you know, focusing my training was, was crucial. Um, and, and made it fun because I had never had a coach like that before. And so every day, like the workouts, I'd be like, Whoa, he thinks I can do this. Like, cool. And so I just shifted my mindset and, um, and I think I further shifted it this year, but I, I, I started to shift my mindset from like, okay, obviously, you know, I have run a 249. So, you know, I could say I want to go for a 247, but I'm not going to show up to the start line at CIM and go for a 247. I'm going to go for the 245 and, and see what happens. And I think, you know, putting goals out there is a whole nother story. It's kind of hard for me to have the goal out there. Um, and, and that was a learning process as well. But I think just keeping it fun and, you know, everyone knows you're going for an OTQ when you're that close. So just managing that external, you know, encouragement slash pressure and just viewing it as encouragement and not pressure has been really important. Yeah. And not even for CIM. I think, you know, post CIM, that wonderful article came out in Tempo that followed you uh, and a couple other people as well. And that was just so well done. And they just do such a great job with the photography that that, that article was just, was, <laughs> it was just so good. And then like just CIM, CIM was just a, it was magical that year. It just was for so many reasons, for so many people, just in terms of how they, just how they were able to do it and the quality of the fields and all of that. And then, like, you were on the show with Lindsay two weeks afterwards, and that was a wonderful podcast as well. And you guys were, were, were great in that. So <laughs> before we kind of touch on what this past year has been like, because, like you mentioned, like, having the, you know, like, obviously now, <laughs> like, the, the goal has been more than out there um, leading into Berlin, like, a long way out. But it seems to be, like, a, a line of demarcation in your running life between – New York City running 259 like what happened before that day and on that day and after that day because um touching what you what you had mentioned earlier was how your running life prior to that 
wasn't really the typical one. So let, let's just dive into it in terms of just your athletic background in high school and college and kind of where you were coming from in terms of the foundation within the sport and just you know how you approached athletics in general. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the Tub article. I have to shout out Jody Bailey. He did the photography and all of the writing for that. So thank you, Jody. Um, but yeah, back to New York. It's it's interesting. I um, I just talked to the folks at Ithaca College. I, I ran at Ithaca College as a walk-on um, at a D3 school for like a year. Um, and, you know, prior to that, I, I say I dabbled in running um, because I played soccer as a kid and I, you know, went, went to the track team, you know, in middle school and was like, Ooh, I wonder if I could hurdle. I'm 4'11". I don't know why I thought I could, but I, you know, I, I was always interested in it. And whenever, you know, in gym class, we would have field day races. I liked to race. And, um, this girl, Crystal Newborn always beat me in the sprints and I would always beat her in the longer stuff. I don't know how I didn't see that, you know, as a, as a foreshadow moment, but there was this sense of interest in running. Cause I was always the one on the soccer field running around the most. And, um, but then, you know, in middle school, I, I did track a little bit. I don't even really remember. I think my mile time was like seven something. So they were like, Oh, great. You can run the mile. And you know, I was, I definitely wasn't one of those girls. Like you hear Jordan has saying she beat everybody. No, I was interested and, um, and liked it. So I, I did it. And then I think, you know, the fact that there wasn't, you know, at, at 14 years old, when you're going into high school and there wasn't a junior varsity and I definitely wasn't a standout on the track team. And there was all these, you know, eighth graders who could run five minute miles. I was like, Ooh, I, you know, I'm not going to do varsity. And I think, I don't know if this answer, yeah, I'm going on a tangent here, but what I've learned now is what I was lacking at 14 years old, not to anyone's fault, but my own was the growth mindset. I didn't, you know, I thought you were good or you weren't. Um, so that prevented me from having the confidence to, or the, or just, you know, putting aside my ability to go run on the varsity team, despite not being the best. So I thought, okay, I'm not a good runner. And I don't really do this. And I'm also interested in 900 other things like theater and all that. So I was like, nah. And so I stopped. And then I, I was also a springboard diver in the fall um, and and swimming. And so I was doing all that. And, and I think my senior year, um, the, the play wasn't a play that took up much of my time. I always did musical theater. Um, I had like a smaller part my senior year and, you know, we were kind of like, oh, okay. Um, and so my friend and I were like at, like we were swimming. I think it was in between swim in the spring and, or in the fall and then spring, we were like, we had a lot of extra time on our hands. So we were like running on the track. And one of the track coaches was like, oh my gosh, we need somebody for our four by eight. And I saw you running laps. You know, I don't remember how exactly how the conversation went, but we had these two standout athletes at my high school, um, both younger than me, McKenna and Lauren went on to Ole Miss and Providence. They're amazing runners. Um, and they were super standout, but we had a pretty small school, so they didn't have enough people really to to run a relay or enough distance women to run the relay so anyways long story short they convinced me my senior year to do this like little indoor track trial because it was like they were going to start going to the meets at Cornell I grew up in Johnson City New York so they were going to start going to some small high school meets at Cornell and it just felt very small and tight-knit so they convinced me to join that um I think the first time I raced I did like a 600 meter <laughs> race which is insane and I was in like 
these kids, I have really small feet. I was in these like kids Nikes that probably weren't even made for running. And I was running in the 600 meter and they put a block in front of me. I was like, I don't know how to run on a block. Like, and so it was wild, but, um, I ended up running, you know, indoor and improving a little bit. And and then, so the goal was I could, you know, hold down the fort in one of the legs in the four by eight. And me and this other girl, Dana, were kind of the more like, I, I couldn't even tell you what time, maybe two thirty something. I, I really don't even know my splits. Um, but you know, we were all right. And then these two girls were running like low twos in the 800. So it was kind of like to just give us a chance or give them somebody so they could be in a relay. Um, and so I ended up running. And I think I ran like the 1500 mostly outdoors, which, you know, probably at the beginning of the season, I think I was running like high sixes in the 1500, like nothing great. And then, you know, I remember my last meet, I ran like a 515, which I could beat now. But, you know, at the time it was like I had transformed from like 640 to like a 515 over the course of a season. Um, And that race at the end, it was like the race before States, I wasn't going to make it to States. I wasn't that good, but I ran a really great race. And I remember that race because like, I, I started to say to like one of the coaches father or one of the, the male runners on my team, his dad would always be there cheering and I would get this like tunnel vision. Um, and so I really liked that because I, I think I got into this like enjoyment of racing and I had a really good race that day, but my coach on the team at the time was like, hey, you're going to Ithaca College, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, it's D3. You should walk on. Like, you know how much you improved over just four months with us? Like, imagine what you could do. And and I think that was like my first glimpse at like, oh, okay. Like, you can improve over time. Um, But yeah, and then I went to Ithaca and and I wasn't going to walk on. I was like, oh my gosh, no way. But then I made friends with a girl who was going to play soccer and she didn't make the soccer team, but she'd done track in high school. And she's like, I think I'm going to walk on. Um, I walked on because, uh, I missed it and I liked it and I was like running and I was going to run anyways. And I saw it as, as a fun thing. And, um, and luckily all the intimidating or not all the intimidating girls, but a lot of the distance girls were doing cross country. So when I walked on for quote unquote fall track, it was just a small group. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. This is fun. And I'll just like go on these runs. And the coach welcomed me, which was awesome, you know, despite I'd be like C-string <laughs> at the D3 school because um, it is a great D3 program at Ithaca. Anyways, I ended up running my freshman and sophomore year. They convinced me to run cross country for the first time my sophomore year in college. And I loved it. I was not very good, but I loved it. Um, sometimes they would break off us B-stringers and we'd go to like a smaller meet while our A-string <laughs> would like go to like big meets. We would do small meets. Um, and I loved it. I, I think I placed like seventh once and that was like the highlight of my career. <laughs> um, my 5K at the time, I think I was trying to break like 23 two in the 5k like I you know which is great um you know but my 5ks in the marathon are all way faster than that now so it's kind of wild but I just loved it and I think ultimately that is maybe back to your positivity question from earlier why you know I was so welcomed and even though my times weren't scoring anyone points like I was I was welcomed onto the team and and that was my first glimpse on that um prior to my sophomore year I wanted to focus on my career. So I took a pause, um, and didn't really run much. Um, I ran a half marathon at one point in there in my hometown. Um, and 
did all right, I think. I didn't have a GPS watch on and I found it really fun. And so that was a glimpse into enjoying road racing. Um, I think I ran maybe 140 something um, and came in like second place because it was my hometown and it was really small. Um, and then, yeah, and then I didn't really run much until I graduated. So that was like 2011. And then in I graduated in 2013, moved to New York City. And for the first year or so in New York, I was very career focused and really busy. Um, I was like a personal assistant. It was kind of crazy. And, um, you know, I put on a, a lot of weight, which, you know, it's not that I run to lose weight, but I, I was, I was getting unhealthy with my habits and I missed running and I, I knew I couldn't really afford, you know, <laughs> boutique classes and things like that. So I was like, maybe I should just start running again. And I think I would like that. And it would give me something to do outside of work. Um, even though I was always on call, um, I would bring my phone with me. And if my boss called me, I'd stop in the middle of a run. And I started just running here and there. Um, and then I, you know, I ran a couple half marathons, not very quick. Like, um, I wasn't really training for them. I just would like sign up for them. And, um, I was always able to finish them, even if I didn't really properly train for them. And I was like, that's interesting. If I, I wonder what it'd be like if I trained for one. Um, and then in 2014 or yeah, end of 2014, early 2015, I, I, I signed up to run with the Nike run club <laughs> and I just needed somebody to kind of run with me. And, and I wanted the encouragement of a group. And so I was very nervous and I showed up to like a group run and, and then from there I started going to their track workouts and, and tempo runs, which I had forgotten what that even was. And, um, and I had tried to get into the New York City Marathon for 2015, but didn't get the lottery spot. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll do the 10 plus one which New York Roadrunners has, if you don't know, a 10 plus one program where you can do 10 race or nine races and one volunteer in the year. And then I would get in for 2016. And I was like, I think I want to run the New York City Marathon. I want to run one marathon in my life. And I'm gonna run the New York City Marathon. That's it. I think that'll be great. That's a great life goal to run a marathon. And you know, and then I start doing this like 10 plus one program or nine plus one program. And I'm doing all these races and I'm enjoying them. I run a couple halves and I'm also kind of training for them. I'm going to track workouts and finding those really fun. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to wait to run a marathon. And I had run at the Brooklyn half. I ran a, a personal best in the half, which at the time was 137. And I was really stoked about that. I had my first GPS watch on ever <laughs> and I was really excited. I had run um, for the first time better than that race back in 2011 that I had run was the first time I'd run faster than that. And I was really excited and I was seeing the, the growth <laughs> that if I train and I'm consistent, I'm getting better and I'm enjoying it more. And, and I think I, that's when I started getting hooked. And that was when I was like, well, I don't want to wait a whole nother year and a half to run a marathon. I kind of want to run one soon. So I signed up for Philly, um, thinking, oh, well, this will be close. It won't be that crazy. And, you know, I'll sign up for that. And I plugged into my Nike run app or whatever. I'm running a marathon. Here's a training plan. And I kind of followed that. Um, and also went to like these clubs and I met a lot of people who were really, you know, the running, my first glimpse into like the running community here in New York and, um, met a bunch of people, trained for that marathon, had a lot of role models to look up to. And, a lot of somebody said to me, I think you could be cute. And I was like, what's a BQ? <laughs> oh, 
oh, Boston, yes, yes, I heard you have to qualify for that. That's cool. Oh, my gosh, that'd be amazing. And um, somebody said that to me in a race, and I was like, wow, I don't know. I don't even know if I can finish. Um, I still sort of, I still very much so respect that distance. Um, and I lined up for that race that day very nervous, and I really actually was not sure I would finish. And, you know, it's this unknown, right? And so I had all those feelings lined up for Philly and, and ran that 321. And I think that, you know, I was super proud of that that day. And I'm still very proud of that um, race because I had so much fun. <laughs> and I I didn't know what I was doing. I was eating gummies and like two the whole race. Like I really didn't know what I was doing. And I, but I think that was the first glimpse into, oh, wow, you know, like you put some work into this and and you're a marathoner. Like I, you know, I, I didn't, if you told me I'd be running a 242 one day, I would have laughed, but I, yeah, that was like my first glimpse into it. And then, you know, from there, the following year, 2016 was kind of a breakthrough year for me after that. So. Yeah. And I loved your story about how you were taking the bus to the start line at New York city um, and you can you, you're hearing the, the chatter of the other people kind of like on your sub elite bus and they're all talking about their times and how you were like, I need to put in my headphones right now because I'm a 321 marathoner and I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, I so New York is amazing if you can get into the sub elite or, or competitive start. But I so I ran a 125 at the New York City half that year. And that qualified me for sub elite. But even the woman who I emailed was like, well, you know, we got to prioritize people with the fast marathon times. I don't, I don't know, but I'll put you on the waiting list or whatever. And like a week before the race, they changed my number from like a four digit number to like 263 or two or something, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> and so I was like, oh, really excited because if it was going to rain or whatever, I knew, I knew sort of the, the perks, but then, yeah, I'm on this bus and, I, and this, I still take with me today. If, if people are talking about times or anything that intimidates you right before the race, you just got to block them out. And I, like, I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to hear it. And I see Sarah Hall get on the bus in front of me. I'm like, what is going on? Why am I here? I'm seeing Molly Huddle warm up. And, um, Gwen Jorgensen ran that year. I saw her and I'm like in the same bus and building as these people and I'm like <laughs> I'm a 321 marathoner and I start right on the start line because they start pushing you like once they open up all the corrals I end up like right on the start line with this woman Kelly Calway who had a U.S. Army on she like coaches the marathon team there she was like a 230 something marathoner and I'm like Kelly I don't think I should be standing here I need to move back she goes uh-uh you're standing right here and then we were like national anthem next to the army team marathon team and I was just like what in the world am I doing here do I belong um but you just have to kind of black out those voices and and I I truly be believed in myself that I should be and and could go for the sub three I kind of knew anything could happen and I was still respecting the distance very much um in that time, but I was excited to race. Like it was my first marathon. I was lining up going for, going for it. I, I think, you know, at Philly, I ended up running a great time for me at the time for sure, but I didn't line up thinking I was going to go gung-ho. I very much took the first part very easy. And this was the first time I was going to race a marathon. And so, yeah, I was, I was definitely intimidated, but I, I kind of used it as, as fuel, but 
man, you can't let you can't let people talk about their PRs on on the way to the skyline. <laughs> yeah, for, for I, sure. I don't want to hear it. I still don't want to hear it because you know there's people who have way more impressive five K PRs, which doesn't mean they're going to beat you, and doesn't mean that what they do is going to affect you. You know, if they can't do it, doesn't mean you can't do it. You know, like there's a lot of people who have five K PRs that are two minutes faster than mine, and and then my half marathon or marathon is faster and so that comparison trap is really important to avoid because you you never know and you never know what kind of day you're going to have and there's so many factors especially in the marathon and it seems like at that point in your running life despite the fact that you've had you know obviously we're doing really high level workouts with the people you were running with and you'd run a 125 and a half and here you are doing running 259 at, at New York that you still had this like beginner's mind in a sense despite the fact that you were <laughs> had like high level success like you had this like you know you were you know almost like naive to like what you were capable of doing in a way and that like almost like expectations weren't weighing on you in a sense, it was just more of like, I'm enjoying this process. This is enjoyable. This is fun. I have goals, but this is just more about like what I like doing. Yeah, I think, I mean, so New York City was the first time I did a lot of my training alone. Um, because at that point, I shifted into the fall. And I was like, I think and I still sort of have this mindset. And I think a lot of people, especially in the New York City running community get caught up in a lot of those small races and group runs, and they got to be at everything. And I think that was the first time I was like, I have a very, like, I want to nail my goal. And so I want to follow my plan. Um, I would still go to group runs, especially for easy runs. But a lot of my workouts I was doing alone. And I remember, I, I definitely was having fun with it, but I definitely like, I remember that 650 number was in my brain and I was like, I was very hyper-focused on the goal, but in a fun way. Um, and, and it was the first time I was kind of like teaching myself, be prepared for everything. I remember I, of course, did, I think I was following a very typical plan. And there were a couple times I did like, they didn't call it it, but it was definitely Yazo 800s. And I was like, the first time I did it, it was really tough. And I remember the second time I was doing it when I was getting a little fitter, I was really stoked. I wanted to like nail the workout. Obviously that workout is very, you know, every, you know, a lot of runners know it. And so I was like, I want to do better at this one. And I get there that day. And I, at that time I lived in the Upper East Side and there wasn't a track anywhere near me. Um, so I would commute to Union Square to a gym and then run to the East River track from that. And so it would always put me in this like morning mindset of like a workout, like travel to it. It was like almost like a race. And so I would travel to the gym and then get to the gym. And when I got to the gym, I did not feel good that day. Um, I didn't feel bad enough that I needed to call it, but I just didn't feel great. And the wind was crazy at the track. And I was still like, and, and I had the mindset, like this could happen at the race. How are you going to respond? run this, you know, even though this workout's not going to go as great as you imagine, how are you going to do it? And I think that was when I started to, I don't even know where that came from because I didn't have anyone telling me to think that way, but I was just like, I want to be prepared for anything. Um, and I think I very much was like, I'm going to train for a sub three so that I can run a 305 at New York. Cause everybody kept saying, Oh, New York's a hard course. You're not going to, you know, I actually, Oh my gosh, this is a tangent, but like the week before the race, a guy at Nike run club said to me, like I was running, I think we, Lagat was doing like a group run. <laughs> they were like a special event and we were doing this like easy run right before the marathon. And someone asked me my goal and he was like, yeah, what's your goal? And he hadn't broken three. So when I said, well, you know, I think my, my main goal is like 305, but I, I you know, I'm going to go for a, a sub three. And I hadn't really said that to anyone. I wasn't telling anyone my goal. I was very secretive about my goal because I didn't want to fail in front of everyone. And so I said that to him and he goes, oh, don't go for that in New York. 
And I looked at him and I was like, okay, now I'm like fired up. I'm going to do it. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know. I thought about him uh, on the, not that he was worth my thought during the marathon, but I thought about that when I was like slowing down a little bit uh, up Fifth Ave and, you know, I knew it was within reach, but I didn't know how to do the math. And I knew I had clocked a lot of sub sevens, but I was like, I have no idea. And when it really started to hurt, I thought about that and I was don't go for it in New York. Oh, who are you to say? You didn't watch my training. You don't know. Uh, but yeah, no, that fired me up. Uh, cause I was like, Oh, prove that wrong. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, I mean, he killed me on the track every day. So he sees that like he's way speedier than me in a 5k. Sure. But that doesn't mean that I can't break three. You don't know. And that's, you know, you have to kind of, uh, again, to the PR thing, like you got to be in your own lane a little bit and believe in yourself. Cause there's always going to be people who doubt you for sure. Oh, man. I mean, I, I love altruistic motivation, but sometimes it's nice to have that little <laughs> bit of an edge to, to really like dig into when times are getting tough. And it's, it's hard to have like the Buddha mind when you're suffering and you're like, just go to a good place. Sometimes you just have to like feed off the revenge a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. So so let's talk about um, post CIM. So, so going into CIM, you obviously like you had done well. This is first of all, let me just break this down because you really had started like kicking, running into high gear, you know, 2015 ish, right? But then you have this string of races of like 321, 259, 249, 255 in a monsoon in Boston, like in short order, only a couple of years into running, which I can't wait to talk about just what is and what isn't talent because obviously you have a boatload of it, but I think it's probably in a different sense than maybe other people would characterize it. But all of a sudden, you're going for CIM. You're looking at it as you know potential OTQ race, like a lot of women are, you know, because it's just there's so many people there gunning for. It. Like, why not take advantage of the opportunity? You end up running a PR at 2:47, so you're kind of in this semi awkward zone of being so happy to have this PR, yet not quite the goal, this huge goal. Because it's not just like a time goal, it's like this major demarcation between being an OTQ and not getting one. And also knowing that if someone's covering you as you go through this. So what was it like reflecting on CIM when you had, I would assume, so many disparate thoughts about how that race went for you and what you would hoped to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, speaking to Jody covering me that whole time and knowing he would be covering, I I actually thought it would be one pack. Like, I thought we would show up and be like, we're the 245 pack. You know, there was tons of packs, but um, it was it was interesting. I think um, going into the race, I wanted to go for it. And I knew I knew it would have to all click. Um, I, I knew I wasn't in 242 shape. I knew I wasn't in you know, way under shape. So it would have to be it all coming together and me being under. And having that, you know, goal, it was, I don't know, it, it was different. And and having, knowing that you're there to kind of put it all out there and, and everyone knows you're going for it, everyone's going for it around you. It's ex- It's inspiring. I mean, I was super inspired by all these women. We were all sharing our Martin or our whatever fuel we use and water, um, and it was awesome. And it was kind of just about, I was like, let's just clock off as many miles as I can and, and see. Um, I had never gone into a race kind of thinking I was overreaching as much. Um, and I, 
um, except maybe Boston, but <laughs> the weather changed that. But I went into that race kind of knowing I would be skimming that edge of what was maybe what should be my marathon pace at the time. And, but I was, I was there to go for it. I didn't want to go for a 247, but then it's like, you get the 247 and it's two minute PR, two minutes off. I was right in the middle and my immediate, I mean, at the finish line. And I was so excited because at mile 23, I didn't even think I was going to finish. And, and I had never had the feeling at 25. So I was at mile 25 and I was slowing a lot. So really up until, I mean, I started to feel the pain come in at 18, but I stayed in front of the 245 pacers until 23, 23 and a half, maybe 24. I saw them pass me. I never saw them the whole race. Um, and I think they ran exactly on um, and or just under, um, but I didn't see them the whole race. I was looking for them, never saw them. They passed me at like 23, 24. And I was I had fallen off pace around 22, maybe to like, you know, pace the 615, but I started clocking some 620s, 625, 630s, still kind of holding on for dear life for a couple miles. But then 24, 25, it started to slow a lot more. 25 and 26 were both like 7, 730. Like I was losing, I lost a lot of the minutes that I lost in those two miles, which is, you know, not atypical of a marathon that kind of doesn't you know, end well. But I was, I was, I remember at 25, I was like, I have a mile, like 1.2 mile. Like how am I, I'm seeing people drop out left and right. Like that isn't really talked about, but there were a lot of women who knew they weren't going to hit it and they dropped out. And there were a lot of guys even dropping out, um, for their goals too. And I saw so many people stopping and I, I thought about it and I, I, you know, I, hate to admit it, but I thought about it. I thought about stopping and I thought I was going to run like a 305, which not to knock a 305 marathoner, but you know, I thought I was falling off enough to lose 20 minutes. Like that's how bad it felt. And so I just looked deep inside myself and said, you didn't come to not finish. You're not going to drop at 25. And I just had to dig that deep to kind of be like, finish. I, at that point in time, thought there was no way in heck I was going to get a PR. Like, I just wanted to finish. Thought I might be able to skim under three, to be honest. I had no idea. At that point, I couldn't even think straight. So I was just, go, go, go. My quads hurt so bad. Um, And I finished. And I turned that corner and I saw, like, you know, because there was still a little bit to go. I saw, like, the 46 on the clock. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, get to that finish line, you might PR. And so, I mean, it wasn't that far, but you know, it could have taken me five minutes. Um, I think it's like 200 meters. <laughs> so I'm like running and I, and I crossed that line. And I, you know, at that moment, I was so proud because I PR'd and I had been through all of the emotions of not thinking I would even finish or whatever. And so it was interesting because, you know, there were so many successes that day and I'm so excited for all of those women because it lined up for them that day. And for me, it just didn't line up to be an OTQ day, but I still PR'd and I still was the best I had ever been. And I went for it and I'm proud of going for it. And I, I can look back and be like, I wonder if I went through on, you know, 123, would I have run of 246, you know, or maybe, you know, there's so many ways you can look at it, but I, I'm so proud because I knew what it felt like to run on pace, quote unquote, for at least 20 miles. And then, 
you know, it fell apart, but I still fought through. And I think that has been something I've always wanted to define myself as a marathoner is I'm a marathoner. I am working on the other distances, but the marathon is my thing. I love it. And what I love about it is it exposes you. And, and really, if I was hurting so bad that, it, you know, I was injured, obviously I would pull out, but I was able to put one foot in front of the other. So I'm going to get to that finish line. Um, and I was close enough that it, you know, wasn't, a a drop, you know, I should drop and save it for another race situation. It was like, I need to finish this thing. Um, so I wanted to have that. And then, so to have a PR, I was so excited. Some people, you know, were definitely afraid and tiptoeing around what to say to me. And, and that hurt a little bit, but I also understand where they're coming from. They don't know where I'm at. And I think people were surprised at my, like where I was about it. Um, I wasn't devastated. I was excited. I I was the best I ever could be ever, ever had been in the distance. So I was excited and I knew what was possible and I knew, okay, wow, I lost honestly two minutes in the last like 5k. So, you know, I got to work on the last 5k and I think that comes with time. And I think my respect for the distance all the way back to the Philly marathon, you know, I've always had the respect for the distance. And I think, my respect for that distance is, is like, okay, wow. Okay. You know, more time. I haven't, I don't have 12, 14, 20 years of running under my belt. I only have, you know, really consistent running for four or five years. So, all right, give me some more time and maybe I'll get that last 5k. And so, you know, I talked to Mario the next day and that was kind of our thought, my coach and I like, all right, wow, you ran an OTQ pace for like 22, 23 miles almost. So, you know, can't complain. That's, you know, experience under my belt at that pace and, and understanding, um, you know, so yeah, it was, I was in a good spot after that. And I think, you know, I was disappointed. Obviously you you show up and you want to run this very specific time goal, but I knew there would be another chance. And I immediately like had my plan and made it with Mario for the next year. And I said to him, I was like, Mario, I'm going to want to run grandma's. I'm going to want to run it. Don't let me. I know what I need to work (laughs) on. I was like, I'm going to turn around and change my mind and say, I want to run a spring marathon. But I think, and he agreed. I was like, I know I need to work on my speed. And I think taking some time off the marathon. And then I've always run my best marathons when I've had the spring, spring to focus on other stuff. Um, I didn't take spring off. I, you know, I worked on a lot of speed and and things like that. So I made that plan. And and definitely in May, I said to Mario, I was like, but I'm running really well. I really want to run grandma's. No. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, I, I, I'm glad I stuck to that plan. And I think, I think that that was good. And I was in a good spot. I was excited to plan. I was excited to, to look at what I needed to work on. I was excited to have a full year and a half with Mario before my next, because Mario and I had only been working together for six months when I ran CIM and I was starting to get it and I was starting to click and I was already feeling like more in control of my running. So I was excited what another year would bring or another 10 months would bring with that. So I was excited, honestly, just excited. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. 
And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. All right, so... You know, when you when you got into running, you really just kind of dove into the deep end with some of these longer races, with the marathons and half marathons, and you didn't really spend much time getting faster, kind of like building up like 5Ks and 10Ks and things like that. And I know that when you spoke to Lindsay, you'd mentioned how you really wanted to spend the beginning part of 2019 really focusing on that. And was that something that you were able to do in the in the spring? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hadn't. Uh, some distances here and there I would PR in like a build or, or something, but I, I hadn't really focused on it in a while. And I had done some more half marathon focused seasons, maybe in like 2017 before I did Berlin two years ago. And I thought, you know, maybe that'd be a good idea because as I've gotten faster, I haven't quite had the depth in terms of the speed range. I would say, I don't really, I still don't think I have a very huge range in terms of my distances and speed. So I was like, you know what, it's only going to, helped me. And I've in the past, you know, had a really good time doing that. And I was really excited to do it. My 5k PR was really rusty. Um, and I had just 5k PR, like sort of in a workout in my build to CIM. And so I was excited to, to, you know, take another minute off that, to be honest, like to take a minute off of 5k is kind of crazy, but that's how far off my 5k PR was. And I'm still mastering and don't really know how to approach a 10k, but I was really excited about a 10 miler, um, doing some 10ks to try to learn that distance and then, you know, do a couple halves as well to keep the strength. And I, you know, work on that as well. And, um, we kind of coach and I kind of built my schedule. So I would have a couple 5ks. I ended up not able to be in town for one of my 5Ks, but then I found one because I was working in LA and I found a small 5K there and did really, really enjoyed that. And so, um, but I really wanted to run the Cherry Blossom 10 miler and, you know, breaking 60 was a barrier that was, I thought would be really fun and I had never done. And, um, you know, that six minute pace (laughs) zone was kind of a very strong barrier for me in my brain. And I thought that would be a fun goal to have. And, you know, meanwhile, also running the New York city half in March and as a build half, and then the Brooklyn half was kind of the goal half. Um, and I did a couple five Ks. I, so I had broke, it's kind of crazy because I just ran a bunch of 1909s in Berlin, but I hadn't broken 19 until my CIM build in a workout. And so I had never run sub 19 until then. And I, and then, you know, after CIM, I was like, I think I could break 18. Am I crazy, Mario? And he's like, you can break 18. And so I was talking about another minute off that. And, and I did that. I mean, I ran a couple low 18s. I was really excited about that. Indoor, I ran on the track like an 1838, but then I went on to 
run the half marathon with like almost the same pace, um, which is very typical of me. Um, I get into a groove and halves and I don't know, but I started to kind of understand what it's like to feel that hurt in a, in a 5k. And I found that really fun and, um, ended up running, I think an 1805 in LA in February. And then I broke 18 in um, at the Boston 5k. Um, I thought I was going to smash 18. I just went under. Um, I'd love to get another rematch on that. I, I actually really am starting to like the 5k a little bit, um, which is crazy for me, but, um, and yeah, I ended up PRing in the 5k twice, the 10k standalone 10k, but actually I ran a faster 10k in the 10 miler than my 10k PR because it was a little flatter, but I, I, I PR'd in the 10 miler and did smash 60, didn't smash 60. I went just under 60, um, in the cherry blossom. And then, um, I, I nipped away at my half. I ran the NYC half is a really tough course, but I still ran sub 120. And I think I 10 second PR'd at that. Um, and then I, maybe took another 20 or 30 seconds off. I still was in the 119s, the low 119s at Brooklyn. And, you know, I had a really successful season and, and, and a lot of fun doing it. And I don't think, you know, I, I think I was hopeful that my half PR would come down a lot more, but I was still not, I mean, you can't be disappointed with any PR, but I also was like really excited because I knew, I knew the growth was still coming. And I think I knew that even though maybe Brooklyn didn't reflect what I thought it should, I wanted it to, I was really excited because I could feel the change happening. I was less afraid of 550 pace. I was less afraid of certain paces and workouts and, and paces that would have frightened me in the past. I was, I was kind of getting after them in workouts. And I think that approach kind of came from those shorter distances and, and, you know, getting better at workouts on the track in my Berlin build is probably accredited to that. Um, yeah. And just the confidence to, to do like even, you know, a three mile tempo at the top of a workout that's going to have other stuff. I attack those differently now and I'm less afraid, um, of those paces. So yeah, I think it was great. And it definitely, definitely, yeah. Set me up. Well, I took a break after, after Brooklyn in mid-May and, you know, took a couple weeks where I just ran when I felt like it. And then it was like straight to the races for Berlin. So it was, it was great timing. And, and I, I do find that to always be a good reset and a good, you know, as you get faster, especially coming from where I don't have like a 15 minute 5k PR, like 16 minute, 17 minute, like some of the women who I'm racing with, you know, to work on that depth is always a good thing because, um, strength is my strength, you know, strength running, long running, but to work on that top speed is just going to help me because it's my weakness. So, <laughs> and how much did you focus on that top end speed? Like, wh- like how often would you guys put on the schedule, you know, running like either one minute hard or doing two hundreds and four hundreds and things like that, as opposed to focusing in on like, you know, more 10 K pace and threshold and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's, um, a lot of my workouts were still, I, I did do a lot of 400s. I remember doing a lot of 400s and, and I think those set me up really well for the Berlin build as well, because I saw them differently, but I indoor, I remember being on the indoor track doing 400s with my training partner, Sasha, who's a miler. And I was like, Sasha, oh my gosh, look at these paces, like help me. Um, and you know, finding the fun in that, like not letting the paces scare me of being like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be hard. And that, that really tough, 
zone where you're running a 400 kind of what feels like at your top speed and doing those and but they were still pretty long workouts um you know like 12 by 400 or you know in sets of three or he would give me like 800s and it'd be like the first 400 at like a normalish pace but then the second 400 had to be top speed so it was like the shift um and and kind of shifting in the middle of an 800 or a 400 and um they were still pretty long workouts but the the intensity was high and the rest would be higher than like in the marathon build. So I'd rest more, actually not jog on my rest, which is <laughs> to hold me still in between reps is hard, but um, actually resting in between instead of jogging around um, and, you know, really trying to get that top speed. Um, yeah. A lot of it really, I mean, I think even in my Berlin build, I was going faster just because I was still developing. I think I'm still developing as a runner a lot. And, um, and that's exciting. I think that's, you know, a great place to be, but yeah, I worked on that a lot and, um, saw numbers I had never seen. And I kept laughing with my, my friend, Sasha. I'm like, I think that's the fastest I've ever run a 400. And I just did 10 of them, you know, and it's crazy. Cause I, you know, I don't come from that and, you know, and she's laughing cause she, could run a lot faster, but I, yeah, it was fun. And I think having her as a training partner was really fun too, because I convinced her to do a lot of my workouts with me and she's really quick. So that was fun. And yeah. And the workouts were fun. Um, translated to like, you know, four by one and a half miles tempo type workouts where it'd be like more intense, but still like, you know, on the road and longer. And then I, you know, rest a half mile in between like easy and, or it'd be like, for, I think I did this in my Berlin build, but like I would do a long run and then it'd be like four by eight minutes at like a pretty intense pace for me. And I'd be like, okay, that's a little longer than a mile, but it's just like eight minutes or six minutes. And you know, those kind of workouts where you're kind of making them longer and, and a little more intense. Um, but yeah. And yeah. And a lot of like two minute on one minute off type things or all sorts of different parlicks. Now, did your legs feel different after that season of working out a little differently than you had in the past? Yeah. And I was also incorporating strength simultaneously. So I felt really in control and the track in races as well, but on the track, um, I noticed it a lot because I understood the pace and my legs could hold up a lot better, um, in that. And yeah, I mean, I was starting to notice that I, I could turn over. I don't know. <laughs> it was crazy and, and hold it for longer. Something that, yeah, I, I think it really, and it, a lot of it came back to confidence at the paces too, into my tempo runs and longer runs. And what, and what kind of strength was Mario having you do? Um, strength training was, um, kind of off to the side. I, I definitely asked Mario a lot, but I was working with my friend Lena, who's a strength coach to do strength training, um, mostly on my hard days, one, one day a week with her. And then also on my own one or two days a week. Um, yeah, I was lifting heavy and, and doing a lot of very runner specific stuff. I was kind of her guinea pig. She is very educated, has lots of, you know, exercise science and training background and had been a D1 1500 meter runner herself. So she, you know, she's a runner and I was kind of her guinea pig cause she had been working for, a gym before. So she didn't really have time. And now she's kind of on her own and she's amazing. She transformed me into a powerful runner and, and then working with Mario and on simultaneously on the speed and add that to some confidence that paces that I wasn't confident at before. And then also having the legs to back it up. It, it just kind of, yeah, it all came, it came up, came together. And, 
Um, I still think there's work to be done. And I think there's always work to be done on, on the whole range. Um, I have a mile PR to get after soon. I'm excited. Hey now. I didn't, I haven't run a mile in a long time. And I, I came pretty close to my PR in like a workout the other day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to run a mile someday. So fit that mile, maybe next year, I think I might do. But that being said, I'm excited. Like it's fun to be excited and to switch it up. And then to build that as like a foundation before going back to marathon training. I think a lot of people do it, but it is also like really easy to be like, no, I just want to run a marathon as soon as possible again, because that's what I love. But I think knowing that this was the right move for me, it excited me. And then I also just found, okay, the more I did the 5k, the less I hated it. I mean, it's still a really tough race for me and not where my natural like strength lies, but I was able to improve it by over a minute in like six months. So, you know, if you work at something just like the marathon, if you're anything in life, really, if you work at it, it's, you know, it's not guaranteed a PR, but you're, you know, you're going to grow in some sort of capacity if you work at something. So yeah, it was really fun. And and I found the 5k to be a really fun challenge. The 10k, I still need to figure out. It's tough. It's a tough one, but I'm excited to try to work at that too. Well, you bring up like, you know, racing these different distances and maybe take, taking a crack at the mile. But I mean, at first it's like, oh, that seems so different. But yet at the same time, if you look at like the best marathoners in the world or just the best runners in the world, they're like the best yes. in the world at like all the distances, <laughs> right? It's like, they're not like, you know, it's like you look at the best ones, men and women, like they've kicked butt at like everything from like the 5K to the marathon, and it's just like it's just the, it, it. There's so much more to it. There's so much more like comparison between like a 5K and a marathon than there is from like a 5K to an 800. And you would never think that, but it's like it's like this the aerobic capacity and strength needed for those races. You know, the 5K up to the marathon is such a significant part of running well that you know, especially with the mileage that you're putting in. You know, you're really just you really need to tweak only like a little bit to really like hit those faster paces and really accentuate what you're already up to. Yeah, scale back. And I think that was that was key. It's interesting. It's like, you know, cause you just heard my running story. Like it was like, okay, wow, you're really crushing it at the marathon, but like you never really like I didn't have that foundation of pretty fast five Ks or three Ks on the track, like, you know, most people do. So it's like this was the best step for me, but not necessarily everybody, because for me, it's like going back to what I probably would have done had I stuck out running longer in my youth, um, or, you know, in my high school or college, if I had like done it for longer, I might've had more of a base in this, but because I don't, and I can, you know, jam out lots of miles, lots of easy miles. And I'm thankful for a body that puts up with high mileage, but I never, you know, was really able to focus on the suit, the speed when I'm marathon training to an extent, obviously I do speed work. Um, but yeah, to like race and step back and actually like scale back on the mileage a little bit so that I'm able to change focus. It was good. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of going back to college cause I didn't compete at college, you know? <laughs> so that's going it. Back to like, that's it. Going back been. to Ithaca. Here we go. Yeah, actually, there's there's a Ethica has um an alumni race every like Labor Day. So while I was in New Haven, somebody, my friend John Davis, who like was at Ithaca College with me, he's like, when are you gonna come back and win alumni? Like that would be crazy. But I don't know if I could win it. That it's a short hilly course, but it'd be fun to go back for sure because I was not, you know, I was not fast. And I see a lot of my my teammates 
at races. Some live in Boston or New York and I see them a lot and they're, they're my biggest cheerleaders. It's really awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, so you were, you obviously had a, you know, a fun and exciting spring. Be able to work on a lot of things that you had outlined after CIM that you wanted to work on. And um, obviously, you know, you maybe didn't get some of those PRs to the level that you wanted, but you know, all in all, it seems like it worked really well. And then like, here you are, you're dialing it back up for, for Berlin. You're, you, you, you know, and you have such this wonderful approach of like, you know, really balancing the goal with the process and trying to like love the process in order to achieve a goal. And it really, you know, I don't want to sound too woo woo about it, but it really does seem like you approach it in a really nice way. So then I have to ask, you know, shoot, like a month and a half ago, all of a sudden you come down with this injury that kind of, you know, puts like slams the brakes on all of it. So what was that like? Yeah. So a week before that, so about six weeks out from CIM, my posterior tip on my left side started to ache a little bit. And I had had some like little feet pain, pain here and here, like manage, manageable pain, obviously throughout, but that started to flare up and it got a little worse. I think I wore my vapor flies a few too many times, to be honest, um, in a row. And then I don't know what it was, but it just started flaring up. And then I, you know, cushioned up my shoes and then I ended up taking a full day off unexpectedly, um, for that. And then it was kind of fine. It, it, it definitely got better and then it was fine. But then, you know, within the next week out of nowhere, I had just done a track workout the day before, but then I was running easy in the park, like loop prospect park loops, like I do every day. And I was 10 miles easy, eight something pace nice and easy with friends talking the whole time. And I'm running and I'm like a quarter miles from my house. And suddenly out of nowhere, I felt this and it just like, I didn't step weird. It was a normal step. And suddenly I just felt a sharp pain in the left, uh, the opposite side. So the right quad, but like right down by the knee. And I had never felt a pain like that in my quad. Like it wasn't like the end of a marathon pain. It was like just very local in the lower part. And I was like, Oh no. And so I like wobbled home. I was close enough and I was like, okay, well I like, it was a Friday. So I just did what I could. I actually had a massage schedule that day. I had them work on it. And then I couldn't get into PT and I couldn't get into the doctors, but I like met with my PT very quickly at the office and she just gave me her two cents. And then, um, I tried to run the next day and, or maybe that was Thursday. And anyways, I tried to run the next day, couldn't wobbled like, cause I felt it. I felt like I could run through it, but I didn't want to run through it. So I was like, well, guess I'm going to take today. And so then I didn't run through it. Um, went home and then tried to run the next day, made it four miles pain. Cause it was a weekend. It was like a weird timing. And so then the, I, I wobbled home in tears. I saw some friends like in prospect park who saw me doing their long runs. And I was like in tears because I was like, what the heck I made it four miles. And then it like started to come back. And it was just weird and scary. And then it was weekend. So I like, you know, Mario and I talked and, oh my gosh, he was like at UTMB, I think. And bless, bless him. He like still talked to me and, you know, figured it out. But he, I had a big long run workout on the plan for like the next day. And we, we had already pushed it a day to try to run that easy. And so then we were like, well, you know, let's see how it feels at the end of the day. And I, I sort of made the call on my own to like try the long run because it was the weekend. And if I feel any pain, I'll stop. And I was a little stubborn about that. And so then I, you know, went out 
And I was like, well, we also decided like flat. So I like traveled for my long run because there's no flat in Prospect Park. So I went to like the west side to like flat as possible. Um, And it was supposed to be like two by five miles and like 17 or 18 miles or something. And I went there and I was like, all right, the first couple of miles, it didn't hurt. I could feel something, but I didn't hurt. And so I was like, I'm going to do this first five miles. I was pretty stubborn. I was wearing more cushioned shoes for safety. And I was like, let's just do it. So I made it almost the full five miles. So seven miles in one five mile segment down at marathon pace. And like, I went down this like tiny little hill and I think downhill was hurting it the most because it hurt, it hurt walking downstairs. And it literally, it was like the babiest little downhill. And immediately it started running up my whole entire quad, like shooting pain up my whole quad. And I was like, oh my God. So I stopped to massage it. Of course I was stubborn. I could, I could like lie to you and be like, yeah, of course I made the right call. I stopped. No, I massaged the crap out of it. I wanted to finish. Um, I tried to run and immediately was like limping. So obviously then I made the call. I like got in a cab, had to like, I like could barely walk. Um, and this is five weeks out for for five weeks out from the marathon and I'm freaking out obviously. So, you know, and you you had like put all your eggs in the Berlin basket, right? Cause you didn't, you didn't do the spring, you didn't do the spring marathon. You obviously CIM is late in the winter, right? That's first weekend in December, but like you really put all the eggs in the Berlin basket, which makes a lot of sense, but also doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room. Right. It does. And and I wanted to do it that way. Um, but you know, of course in that moment, you're like, oh, I was healthy all spring and now this, like what the heck? Um, it was bad timing and, and I didn't let my mind think too much about it, but I knew logistically with my job situation after Berlin, I was not, I mean, it really wouldn't be a, a CIM wasn't really something I could think of as a backup. I mean, I would have tried to figure it out obviously, but I didn't want to think past Berlin. Um, for a number of reasons. And so I was like, okay, hyper focus. What do I need to do now? Right now I need to rest. And so in the past, I probably would have freaked out more. I definitely was upset, but I knew I just needed to take it a day at a time and figure it out. And it was a Sunday. So I needed to get into PT the next day and hopefully a chiropractor, the chiropractor and do some pain management. And, um, so I got into both of them within, I was also starting a new job the next day. It was kind of all crazy and I was going to have to commute to Jersey. And so it was like that Monday was so hectic because I was like limping the next day, still starting a new job, had to make a PT appointment. Luckily, thank the Lord, my PT was able to see me in the evening. When I got back from Jersey, I got into the chiropractor Tuesday and saw both of them. I ended up taking three full days off in a row, which counting the three that were basically messed up. I pretty much just missed six days of training, um, across two different weeks. And, but it was the right call. And I knew it. I was like, you know what? I can't run a marathon with one leg. So I need to do what I can to nip this. And if I'm going to be stubborn and try to do eight easy miles just to make this, make my mind feel better about the mileage I'm getting, I need to chill. I need to chill and I am better off not running at all (laughs) and making sure this doesn't hurt and just take it one day at a time. So I did that and it was really hard. Monday I was limping still. And this is the Monday before Labor Day Monday. So I was limping at work. Um, by the end of the day, I was feeling a little better. So it was, what was good about it. It was like, the more I rested, the better it felt. So I was like, you know what, if that's the sign, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but my PT agreed, my coach agreed, 
chiropractor agreed. The more you rest it, the better. It's a good sign. They both, you know, were very optimistic that it was a, a, a very acute strain. Um, and that I just, you know, that word is really scary, but I, it just, it, in my heart, I knew if I rested it a few days, I, I just knew it would be okay. And, and I just trusted that because I needed to, otherwise I'd fall apart. So I was like, okay, let's focus on that. I asked about pool running. I asked about cross training and all of them agreed, like, listen, it's your quad. If you actually want to make sure this doesn't stay, you know, five weeks out from your marathon, it's probably best you don't do anything at all. And so I didn't, I did core, but that was about it. And so that was really hard. Um, cause you want to be in control. You want to be in the pool. You want to be on the elliptical. You want to be on the bike or something. Um, and maybe if it was my foot or my ankle, that would have been the answer. But because it was my quad, I was like, let's not mess around with this. Let's just see how it responds to zero. So you know, over time, even by the end of Tuesday, I was like, wow, it feels amazing. Like I could feel it to touch was already feeling better. But, and I even, I think I even like texted Mario, like, I know they all said Thursday, but like, what do you think about tomorrow? And like the chiropractor was like, maybe you could run tomorrow if you want to test it. But Mario was like, no, take an extra day. And I think he was like, absolutely right. I know he was absolutely right. Like take one more day than we want to. And so we did. And we took Wednesday off. It was so painful because I could tell I could run. Like I didn't feel any pain. Uh, but I knew it was best. So I wanted to just assure myself that it wasn't going to pop back up. And sure enough, I, I tr- tested it out four easy miles on Thursday, which was also hard because I wanted to just like jump back in and run 10 or something. But I ran four on Thursday. It was fine. We canceled my 22 on Saturday that I was going to do and just decided let's get to New Haven in one piece. So I was running New Haven 20K the following Monday. So a week after I was limping, I had this 20K on the schedule that I wanted to do as like a hard effort before Berlin and just like a dress rehearsal test everything out. And so let's just get me there. And you know what? You can, you've done 22, you've done time on your feet, long runs. This 22 is not going to make or break you. Let's get you there. It might break you actually. So let's get you there. And so we did that. Um, we decided that I trusted that plan and, I made it to the 20K. I felt like crap in terms of aerobically in that race. I ran pretty much the same pace I ran for the whole marathon and was kind of like, oh my gosh, this feels terrible. I wanted to stop at like mile nine. Oh man, I learned a lot. And I was like, don't make that mistake again mentally. But you know, I, I really didn't feel great in that race, but I was so grateful that there was no pain. I was running fast and there was no pain. So I had, I had to be grateful. I had to finish that and celebrate. And so I couldn't, I mean, afterwards I was thinking a little bit negatively, like, Oh boy, that was really tough. But I, again, just had to shift my mind. Like it is amazing that you're out here and you know what, you're going to get to Berlin in one piece. And you do have a couple weeks and a couple long runs you still have to do, and you can do those and those can hopefully build your confidence back up. And yeah, so my, my build was not not perfect. And, um, you know, I had put in a lot of work before all this and I put in a little bit after, and, you know, I just had to accept the two weeks of lower mileage on my Strava and just look past it and just know that I put in a body of work that was good and I made the right decision. And yeah, I, I can't go into the race thinking about what I didn't do. I just had to remember what all the things I did. So, uh, it was easier said than done, but I, you know, with the amazing team of support I have, um, just kind of focused in on that. And even though I felt kind of like crap at New Haven, I was able to still get in a couple of good long runs after that. So that helped build my confidence back. 
So what was the strategy heading into Berlin? I mean, we've already we've already given up like the conclusion. We already said like, <laughs> hey, you ran a two forty two. So we know we already know like kind of how it ended. But what was the strategy going in? Not only in terms of what Mario um, thought would be best, but what was your own internal monologue kind of going into your conversation with your coach about uh, what you thought would be best in terms of your own capabilities and you know, having some familiarity with the course. Yeah. Oh, Mario had mentioned in training, he's like, we're going to train you for 243. And I told him, ha ha ha, but okay. But yeah, ha ha ha. Like I, for me, it was very much just, you know, let's just try to run the pace 244 mid, um, and just see, um, get in that rhythm. Berlin is a rhythm course. So I just wanted to get into that rhythm comfortably. Um, not do anything crazy. Um, I had talked to a lot of friends like my good friend, Caitlin Phillips, who crushed the race as well. She ran like two thirty four. Um, she's run the race a lot. I talked to her and it's a, it's a course that I've negative split the one time I had done it before this. And it's a course where if you set yourself up, you know, you can negative split the, the course. And, um, so I knew conservative was the way to go. And so I was like, conservative, conservative, conservative. I wrote out the 5k paces. I didn't really think much about it. I didn't really, um, I didn't really think about the numbers too much, but I did have them written out in kilometers in miles. And, um, for, I think I wrote them out for 353 per kilometer and 354, which is like 243 high and then 244 mid or something um, like that. And so I had those written out um, and I knew them. It's like 1925 per uh, 5K and then 1930 per 5K were like the the 5K splits because there's big clocks in the 5K. So I knew that and I wanted to know those numbers. But really, I just wanted to go out and just do what I knew and and I knew I knew six ten to six fifteen pace. I I my plan, what I did was a little different, but my plan was to go out six fifteen, no faster, you know, closer to that nineteen thirty, hopefully, and just try to clock in to the half right on one twenty two mid. So that was my goal. That was my plan. <laughs> Conservative went out the window. Um but I felt amazing. I don't know. I, I, I really, I mean, I crushed what I thought I was possible per 5k, but, um, yeah, yeah, that was the plan was to be conservative and just try to knock out 5k at a time and and just, you know, taking all the fuel. I fueled a lot and I took in a lot really early, um, which I think worked really well. Um, yeah. And that was the plan. (laughs) What I did was a little faster, but that was the plan. So, so, so let's talk about the execution then, right? Because first of all, let me just say that there's the, the strike, there's a striking similarity between all the photos that you've posted about Berlin. <laughs> um, and that is a huge and giant smile on your face and literally every single one of these pictures. And maybe all of them were taken within like a 10 second span, but it doesn't no, seem that way. So, so let's talk about how you executed and just your decision making process in terms of you know, basically taking this conservative approach that you would, you know, you would, you would mapped out and, and, uh, you know, kind of stepped on the gas a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so when I talked to Mario, we decided to turn my auto lap off, which is miles. And then right before the race, I panicked. 
well, not panicked, but I was just like, I think I want it on. And and he was fine with either thing, but we, I had asked him what he thought and we thought it might be a good idea to have it off. But the time before that I had run Berlin, I had it on. And so I was like, you know what? I like that. Let's put it on. I barely looked at it. I mean, I would look at it when it would go off, but then I, I honestly didn't even register which mile was going off, but I, I don't know. I turned it on. And so I had that on, but I always take that with a grain of salt, right? People complain when a course is too long or whatever, but I just say like, you know, the GPS fails. <laughs> and so I like it as a, as a check, but I also am like, well, it could be wrong, you know? Um, and even at CIM, like I had it on, but then I noticed I would be like early and, you know, you take it with a grain of salt because you just, it's the mile markers on the course that really matter. doesn't matter if my GPS watch says I run a 244 or 59 if I didn't. So, um, I knew that. So it was going off and I would look down and I would see 605 or 610 and I would see a six flat or I'd see a 615. And, and whenever we'd see 615, sometimes I would see 620. So we'd like pick it up. But then as I would clock them off, they'd be like 607, 607, 608. And I'm like, what? Um, it doesn't feel that fast. Um, and so I was like, maybe it's a watch, whatever. And I just really didn't think about it. I honestly, I didn't let anything throw me off on the course, or I, I was trying not to let anything throw me off. So I, I didn't want to panic. I would adjust and I'd be very mindful. Okay. That was a little quick, you know, maybe I can slow it down a little bit. Um, but there was a lot of moving and grooving within, and I was running with my friend Daniel unplanned, but we ran together for a little while and we would like weave around some guys and, you know, back and forth. And a lot of it was that, and you'd get stuck behind someone. And then I'd look down and see 620 and I'm like, oh man, I can't get stuck behind these guys. And then I'd like kind of weave around and then I would just clock and then it'd be like grabbing our waters. And then I would think we lost some time there, but I was still clock pretty quick. And, um, I knew going through a lot of the five Ks cause I knew some of the even numbers from the list I had made of the five K, 10 K, 15 K splits. I knew we were under, um, and then we went through the half. I went through the half at one twenty one. I don't know, low, 17 or something. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> that's pretty low. Um, so I'm on track for 243 and that's great. I have some wiggle room. I knew that. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of race left, but I really, I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I really felt great. I really did. There was like, you know, some tightness in my, my glutes, my hamstring. I was like, wow, am I using these? Um, that's great. But I, I didn't feel anything. And I, I really truly believed very early on that I was having a good day and that I just needed to knock out some K's and run some K's and run some five K's and run a mile. And it, I think having the kilometers and miles in my mind is nice because there's always something like there's a nine K, then there's a six mile, then there's a 10 K, then there's, you know, 11 K and you always have these K's. And then I also had all these K's where I would get my nutrition and, and that was helpful. It broke it up. And I was just kind of thinking about what's next. Oh, somebody's cheering at the half. Great. I'm going to see them. And, oh, there's a photographer. I know that's great. And, you know, I had a lot of stuff along the way. It's nothing like when you're being cheered, cheered on at like your hometown race, but there were a lot of New York, New Yorkers there. And that was really awesome. And, a lot of people just cheer for me because I'm a female surrounded by a bunch of men and that's fun. And your name's kind of on your bib. So people are cheering for you for that. And yeah, I was really smiley for a lot of the race. I have like, I can send you the full pack of photos on the like sport photograph. I'm, I'm, there's some focused ones in there for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty smiley. I, I really wanted to enjoy it because no matter if I ran a 248 or a 246 or 244, two 
which I never would have imagined. I, I knew I had to have fun. And if I wasn't having fun, I was going to think like I did in New Haven. I was going to want to stop. I was going to want to do that because I've been in races where I wanted to stop. And, um, yeah, I knew I just needed to enjoy it. And you know what? You can have a slow mile. I, I think what I had learned from a lot of my recent, recent races was you can have a bad mile in a race and still have a great race. So I knew I just needed to enjoy all the good ones, um, and take the bad ones when they came. I didn't really have any bad ones, which is crazy (laughs) to say. I didn't really have a bad mile. I mean, I definitely slowed a little at the end. I was actually being really careful not to fall or do anything crazy because I knew I had it. Um, and there's, it started to rain and some stuff was slippery and there were some puddles. And so I was honestly being a little cautious in the end, um, just to not fall. And I just, yeah, I I got, I got to mile 18, which is like 30 K and I think 30 K sounded farther. And then I looked down at my watch and saw 18 and I was like, Oh, don't get ahead of yourself. But when I saw 145 on my watch, I remember thinking, wow, you have an hour to finish this thing. And it wasn't like, uh Oh, I still have an hour. It was like, Oh, only an hour left. Enjoy it. Like, I don't know. I was just like, wow, only an hour left. I'm like almost there. Um, but I knew that a lot could happen in in the last hour. So I'm not trying to be naive about that, but I, I, I kind of felt it. And then when I had the last 5k, I just knew it. I knew I had it. I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I knew I could do it. And it must just have been so exciting, um, you know, coming down that last stretch and and seeing, you know, seeing the seeing the official clock and knowing, all right, this is real. This is this literally just happened. Um, what was that finish line feeling like compared to some of your other, you know, greatest finish line feeling moments? Yeah, approaching the finish line, I didn't know what my time was going to be, and it kind of didn't matter. I knew I was under. I knew unless I had fallen and needed. Yeah, I don't know. Couldn't crawl. I knew I had it. So I enjoyed that last stretch. I, I didn't really kick that much. Don't tell Mario. If Mario, if you're listening, I didn't, you know, I kicked, but I, I just wanted to make it and I just wanted to celebrate and soak it in. I honestly didn't want it to be over. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I, I mean, it was starting to rain. It was like a scene from a dramatic movie because it wasn't really raining much for the whole race. But then right as I'm running on the cobblestone and going under the thing it's starting to really rain and I'm like I know I have it but also I know that I can't see and I didn't I didn't want to look at my watch because I wanted to soak it all in and so I knew I was under I had no idea I was way under but I knew I was definitely under and so I was like wow soak it in don't look at your watch who looks at their watch this is an amazing moment you're gonna do this but I really didn't have much in my mind between the the arches and the, cause it's quite a while. There's a lot of turns at the end of this race that you don't see. There's like a million turns in the last 2k and you have made all these turns. I didn't fall. Um, and then I make it and it wasn't really until I crossed the finish line that I just, I gasped. I looked at the clock. I like didn't even know. Cause I just was so like, I knew I was under, I had no idea what time I had run. And I just let out this like huge cry immediately. And this woman at the finish line was like grabbing me. It was starting to downpour right as this happened, not downpour, but like rain harder. And I'm like, I'm crying. It's the rain. It's raining on my face. And it's like a scene from a movie. And I just was so proud and shocked. Yeah. Proud and shocked. And then all these guys around me were like, you're from the U S cause they knew what that meant. And, um, and it was, it was a really great moment. And, yeah. And then I slowly started to see some people I knew and I just kept crying and 
getting hugs and yeah, it was amazing. How exciting. My goodness. It gave me goosebumps just hearing you retell it. It really did. <laughs> and it's just, it really is a remarkable thing. And it's exactly why I couldn't wait to talk to you because um, while you may be relatively new to running compared to some of the people that you compete with and some of your peers, you've also worked really hard for a number of years so you, and you, and you're able to achieve it, which is really, it really is remarkable. And earlier in the conversation, you mentioned kind of offhandedly that, you know, that you're not, you know, you're not a talented runner like some of the other people that you run with. And I've heard <laughs> you say that before as well. And I guess I'm, I'm going to push back on you a little bit because I think that while you obviously have a lot of speed and you don't get to this point unless you have, you know, certain, I guess, a certain like genetic capabilities, right? Like you, you obviously have certain things that are going for you. I feel like your talent and like superpower is just this energy level that I feel like no matter what endurance sport or event or activity, if it's not even, not even athletic related, like just if you had a job that required you to like be up for 24 straight hours, like I just feel like your energy level is something that is unique and that we see, you know, in this podcast, you know, we chronicle Sarah Bishop and what she's doing, you know, within triathlon to get ready for the Olympic trials and, you know, her energy levels like you, like just off the charts, it's just hard to, to compare it to other people, is that something that you feel like you've always had? A little bit. And I think when you're doing something and you want to achieve something big like this, um, you need to have, you know, energy level can be different. Not everyone's peppy. You know, it's not necessarily just being peppy and smiley, but having that, for lack of a better term, passion or desire or like, excitement or joy behind something is really important. I think that is important in the workspace. You know, I mean, this isn't my full-time job, but I've also kind of had to learn and, and I've learned that that also reflects in what everything I'm doing in life. And, you know, if I'm losing that joy, or if I'm just not appreciating it, or, you know, maybe I need to redirect to something that brings me joy if I'm not doing it. And, you know, really finding that not in the results, you know, it's like not doing a job just for the money. It's kind of like that. It's like not just running for the outcome has been, you know, the outcome is a reward to enjoy. You know, if it's not fun, if it's not joyful, then you're doing it. What? Why? Why would I be doing it? So, you know, if it if I'm doing it just to say that I've qualified for the Olympic trials, I think I would have stopped by now, you know, or, or maybe I wouldn't have, and, but maybe I just wouldn't be enjoying it. Or maybe there, I wouldn't have run what I ran. Maybe I would have, but you know, I've been down the road, maybe not too dark of a road, but I've definitely been down the road where I've been a little run down emotionally with running. And, um, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, people who've been running a long time and they've had times where it, it just wasn't fun. And, um, you know, and, and in other aspects, you know, being burnt out, um, in other aspects of life, it shows the same thing. And so for me, it's like, it's nice because there's no pressure on me to perform unless I put it on myself. Um, because even though other people may expect you to do something or think you can do something, the only person who can really put pressure on my running is me because it's not my, you know, it's not how I make money. It's not my livelihood. So that's a privilege. And, and that's why it should be light and fun. And, um, that's something I've learned this year and, um, in pursuing this goal and, and something I think I've always had, but you know, there's, there's ups and downs for sure. And having that OTQ, OTQ as a goal and, you know, being within, you know, 
shot of it, people start to expect it of you. And, you know, you don't want to let people down. And of course, you know, all those people who supported me, I, I want to execute what I worked for and, and what they've helped me achieve. And I wouldn't have been crossing that finish line in 24209 if I hadn't spent nine months in the gym once a week with Lena, if I hadn't been working for over a year with Mario, and if I hadn't been running those slow loops 10 miles in the midweek with all these girls that I meet up at at Prospect Park with like Lauren and Caitlin and Sasha and like those easy miles it's like those easy miles that like are easy to kind of just get bogged down by or maybe run them too fast or you know kind of get tired from or you get bored with it you know making those fun is important too because those matter and those are part of it. And, you know, they don't feel like the most important part, but they're part of it. And and keeping those fun is part of it. Because if you don't view the whole picture as fun, obviously there's some days where I don't feel like running or I'm really tired or I have to kind of squeeze it in. Yeah. But I think just appreciating it, appreciating running and, and the place that I'm able to be with running um, has brought me to that. And I wouldn't have crossed that line in 242 without that joy and without all of those people who have run with me and all of those people who have sent me supportive text messages and phone calls and my nephews who think I win every race because if I say I didn't win, they don't care. So I, you know, we just tell them I won. Um, it's, it's my nieces and nephews are always like, did you win? No. What? Yeah. Okay. I won. Oh, great. <laughs> um, you know, we have to tell them that I won and they think I won the Boilermaker. So if they ask, they're congratulations. They think I won, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I didn't. Um, no, but it's like all those supportive people and all those things. And it's a culmination of that. And, and it's, it's a, it should be a celebration because, you know, obviously everything aligned. So it's easy for me to say this now, but you know, CIM even even though it was sort of this modicum success, it was like a PR, but not the goal. Um, it taught me to just, you know, be super appreciative because it could, like, who knows if I'll make it to my next marathon? Who knows if I'll run another one after this? I mean, I'm signed up for Atlanta, woohoo! But, um, but you'd never know. And, and it's exciting because I didn't look past Berlin and I've taught, I think all my best marathons, I don't, I don't think past gives me a little post-marathon blues afterwards. Um, this one I've got Atlanta to already sign up for, but you know, after some of these marathons, you, you put everything into it. Like you said, all my eggs in the basket, but I think it's important in a marathon to do that a little bit because when it gets hard out there, as it usually does, you got to take it when the day is yours and appreciate when everything does come together. And when you're feeling good and you've got a good weather day and you're cruising and you're smiling, um, you know, it's bound to get hard at some points, but you're ready for that. So, yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. That was so well said. This has been an absolute pleasure. You were such a joy to talk to. I love hearing the story. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to see you in Atlanta in February. Thank you. I know. I'm excited and I can't wait to see everyone there. I'm excited for how many people are going to be there cheering, supporting, running, and then all the other trials, all the other sports and all the other events on the track later in the year. It's so exciting. So exciting. An Olympic year almost. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Carly. Thank you.
Carly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. You can go to InsideTracker.com and use code RamblingRunner to save 15% on your tests today. Man, I just love this conversation. Carly is just so phenomenal, and it's just so nice not only to see her achieve her goals, but to hear all about this year and her running journey, as short as it is, comparatively speaking, to the other people we cover on this podcast. And this was another episode where we kind of expand the pie in terms of who we're looking at uh, for not only this podcast, but just the people who are trying to qualify and qualifying for the Olympic trials and those who are really trying to uh, make the most of this journey. So with that being said, we got another special guest coming to you on Monday. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but I'm really excited about it. So in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.